0: Radio show. My name is Ken Hagland, and joining me today are two colleagues I have had the privilege of working with for several years in the hospice field. First is Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services for Minnesota Hospice. She is a registered nurse and is also certified hospice and palliative care nurse, a CHPN. Also joining me is Reverend Debbie Meckley, chaplain and spiritual care advisor. Debbie is also certified in advanced care planning as an honoring choices facilitator. Each of these amazing women have amazing life stories with extensive experiences as hospice educators and end-of-life caregivers. Thank you, guys, for being here today.
1: Thank you, Ken. Thanks. It's
0: an honor. Well, I am just really excited about the ability for us to start giving feedback to our listening audience. We've been doing, for several months now, we've been giving information out and talking about some of the things that are really heavy on our hearts about what we see in the hospice field. And in fact, Debbie, you and Heidi just finished a five-part series that took us six weeks to do. That's right, that's right. Uh, About the spiritual and emotional aspects that involve end-of-life pain and how that translates into physical pain. And there's just so much there that maybe we'll explore a little bit of that today, in fact. Um, but what's exciting today is we are taking calls, live calls, from our listening audience. We, we really want to find out what's on your guys' mind. What are the questions you have? The three of us, uh, well, in fact, our whole team is out in the community, every single day, literally seven days a week, and we are running across questions constantly about what is hospice, what are the benefits of hospice, how does hospice work, uh, does hospice kill, does does morphine kill? Right. I mean, we. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's a challenge because it, there's just so many myths and misunderstandings that not only patients and families. But whole communities have. And even our healthcare, you know, our healthcare community uh, doesn't always quite understand how to integrate care with hospice.
2: I think what's amazing is as long as we've been doing this work, doing this service, is we hear the same questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Same questions all the time, which means that um, education is a must. It's critical that we get this information out into the communities so that people can make educated decisions. Uh, decisions about uh, what they want to do with their end-of-life process which is living and we talk so much about that all the time that dying is actually living and what do we want that to look like who do we want to know about it and how do we want to move forward with that and so we've kind of set the stage here uh over the last several months Mm -hmm. um to hold that space for our listeners that now they've been kind of engaged in taking in this information what um what what do you want to know what's what do you want to ask, you know? Uh, and it's okay because right. we're here to answer. <laughs> and, and we have the answers because we see it every day. We're out in the field yeah. with it.
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Well, one thing that I know that we experience and we're, we're so grateful for, uh, it's very humbling, but our families will tell us after our service has been completed um, and, a, and a person or a patient passes, they say, I wish I would have known sooner. And, you know, in some ways, I mean, that's very humbling and we just appreciate that that gratitude. That they have, but also it it frustrates us to a certain extent because Mm -hmm. we know that there's so much involved in the hospice care model. And when you get a person on for days or even weeks, they they can't fully receive that benefit of the hospice care model. So, um, anyway, we're hoping that we can get out some great information today. I do want to frequently repeat the phone number to call in. And uh, get your uh, question live on the air. The number here is 952-946-6205. And you can also email in your question at comment at am950radio.com. So that phone number one more time is 952-946-6205. And we'll give that throughout the show to remind our listeners um, well, Barb, I know you have <laughs> brought a lot of material, and in fact, you, are, you, are, uh, you have over 13 years Ready of experience. Ready to answer any questions. Oh question. my gosh. And, <laughs> and in fact, you, know, you do several in-services throughout uh, the course of a month, um, yeah. and Debbie and I are speaking at various engagements. Um, in fact, Debbie and Heidi just finished uh, actually doing a live experiential presentation on the topics we've been talking about the last five weeks. So I mean we are, we are constantly in the communities, but I know you've got a lot of material, a lot of experience of, mm-hmm. of some ideas and topics that you want to share with us today as well.
1: I do, and uh, so I'm prepared to kind of start our callers off a little <laughs> bit, um, just with some of the common questions that we hear over and over. I'm sure I know Deb does all of all of our team hears a lot of these questions and. Um, I think they warrant bringing them up and discussing them today. Uh, Some of our listeners may feel the same way. Um, So I thought I'd start with the question that some people think that hospice kills. And I've heard that. That when they hear the word hospice, they think about death, and they really equate hospice with dying. That somehow hospice kills their loved one when they go on to hospice and you know so looking at why is that perception how did we how did we get to that place where people think that hospice actually kills causes patients to die um there's a lot of reasons for that i think one part and the one of the biggest parts is just that there is not an understanding of the dying process and um if you don't understand the process, then everything that's happening that we're doing to provide comfort comfort for your loved one um, can actually look like something that is uh, causing them harm. Um, so they don't understand the process. Um, and our caring for someone at end of life looks different than caring for someone that you're treating to, to, to heal. And, and, you know, our healthcare profession has been so fixed on fixing people. No matter how sick the person, it's always been uh, this, we, we've, got, we've got to fix, we've got to fix. So consequently, I think then when hospice comes in and the person dies, it almost looks like hospice like we have failed uh, because folks came into that with this fixing this fixing mindset. Um, I don't know, Deb, if you have anything you want to add to that too. I just, there's just, um, a lot of misinformation too. I think part of why some think that hospice kills is because of the morphine fear. And, um, there are a lot of of fears in the community and you look, listen to your nightly news every night and, uh, you're, you're going to constantly, we are constantly hearing about this epidemic, this opioid epidemic, the fentanyl epidemic, and uh, overdoses from these narcotic medications. And um, so there's a lot of fear around that word morphine, addiction, um, overdosing. And so, um, you know, society is just surrounded by drug misuse on a daily basis daily basis. And so, again, that's just another fear that I think a lot of folks uh, look at when they think of hospice. And yes, we do use morphine, but I can assure our listeners that uh, our personnel, our, our hospice team are experts in pain management and comfort. We are experts in that. It's very well managed. Very well controlled. Um, You look at the um, societal, these overdoses and uh, addiction, these are in just such uncontrolled environments that this is happening in. Um, We use very small doses and it's so monitored that, um, you know, the likelihood of us ever overdosing. Their loved one on a narcotic medication is very, 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 very slim. Um, so I guess just to leave everybody with the thought that we don't cause death, hospice doesn't cause death, disease causes death. Um, hospice does allow death to occur in its natural in its natural process. And that process, we've kind of gotten away from, I think, Deb, don't you agree that just culturally um, we don't embrace death as a natural process like we
2: used two decades ago? Right. Yeah, even centuries ago, how it was just so valued. Uh, But also, um, you know, uh, this naturalness of dying, um, disease causes pain. Death does not hurt. Disease hurts. But if you think about, we only die once and what that feels like for the body to be shutting down. Yeah. And the anxiety, and we talk about anxiety causes pain. Pain causes anxiety is why we marry in small doses those medications that help to ease the body so that it can move through its process. Because it's gonna move through that process with or without a drug, how do you wanna move through the process Mm -hmm. is the question. And of course, if there was somebody who did not want any pain management, we would honor that as well. Yeah.
0: Right. Boy, a lot of topics here. Um, when we get back, we'll talk about that. I want to explore that natural process of dying um, in the next segment here. All right, you are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. We are up against our first break. We'll be right back after this short message.
3: At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills, and attitudes for long-term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education, and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging, and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Celebrate the resistance and taking back our country this fall at the Blue State Ball
1: today at the Blaisdell in Minneapolis. Tickets are available at the door with VIP starting at 5.30 and general admission at 7 p.m. VIPs enjoy an open bar with Minnesota-made beer, wine, and spirits from Ambibulous. Plus, you can meet and take selfies with Tom Hartman, Norman Goldman, and all the AM950 local hosts. Paul Metza from the Wall of Power Radio Hour will be playing an acoustic set and there will be a lot of delicious butler past hors d'oeuvres. Then stick around for general admission at 7 p.m. where we'll have snacks,
4: a cash bar, and lots of inspirational speakers, including Tim Walls, Rebecca Otto, Lori
2: Swanson, and Jacob Fry. Brought to you by Howling for Wolves, Common Good Books, and Northern Sun. Again, the Blue State Ball is Saturday, March 10th. VIP tickets are $125 and general admission tickets are $40 at the door. Find out more at
4: am950radio.com. A rough-running engine could be suffering from buildup of fuel and oil deposits, but O'Reilly Auto Parts can help
3: clean out engine buildup and improve fuel economy with seafoam Motor Treatment. On sale for $7.99 each at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, oh, oh O'Reilly. Auto parts. Kevin Ross here, inviting you to our brand new store called Ambibulous. What does Ambibulous mean? It means one who enjoys alcoholic beverages of all sorts. Ambibulous is a Minnesota maker's market. Unlike traditional liquor stores, we feature only craft beer, wine, and spirits made here in Minnesota. We are ready to guide your selections, where you can build your own four or six packs. Find us at 949 Hennepin Avenue East in Northeast Minneapolis or online at ambibulousmn.com.
4: Soon we'll be 30 years old. Our songs have been sold. We've traveled around the world and we're still roaming. Soon
0: we'll be 30 years old. Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Hagland and I am joined today by Barbara Larson, Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She's a registered nurse and also a certified hospice and palliative nurse. And also we have Debbie Meckley, Reverend and Chaplain and Spiritual Care Advisor, who also is certified in uh, uh, advanced care planning and uh, as an honoring choices facilitator. So if you've got questions about end of life advanced care planning, feel free to call in as well. We would love to hear what's on your mind. We are, this is a live show today, and I want to make sure I get that phone number out for those interested in calling in with their questions. The number is 952-946-6205. Now, last segment, we were talking, um, beginning to talk about some of the myths and and some of the misunderstandings that people have about end-of-life, end-of-life care, hospice care, and Barbara, you were going through a number of things, and um, one of the things that, uh, you brought up was that there's such a focus today on opioid epidemic and pain killers that are being uh, mismanaged and misused, and I'd like to just make sure we we cover that a little bit more here in this segment. Um, the, the difference between a person who is self-administering uh, an opioid that may have been prescribed or may have been gotten. Without a prescription.
2: Unprescribed? Yeah, unprescribed, unprescribed. right. It, yeah. it
0: maybe falls more on a recreational side versus a, a medical side. But the, the difference is that, that hospice, as, a, as experts in pain management, what they do from a management and monitoring and a regulatory standpoint in the administration of that drug versus what happens with a person self-administering it. I want to talk to you about that. And then also I know Deb has some thoughts about the difference as well from, from a spiritual and emotional standpoint.
1: Yeah, because I think there's two facets of this. There's always the clinical side of pain, but then there's also the spiritual pain that I think Deb maybe can go into a little more too, but I, I think when you look at um, some of the street use of pain painkillers, um, I think that that's kind of what they're trying to medicate to sometimes is a spiritual pain um, and it might be physical as well but um, I think you know I what I wanted to just kind of carry on with just a little about the morphine too is the the, the question or the thought that seems to be prevalent that giving morphine to someone um, in hospice will hasten their death that it that's uh, that's a bum rap, I think, that hospice has gotten because, and Deb will go into this a little more too. That when someone is in this dying process, they are laboring, and there can be anxiety, and they may have physical pain, um, and it, it it kind of holds up the process. It kind of stalls them out in this process, and. If you can, I'm just really a short little story on my own. Um, when I had my first child, kind of sidebarring here, um, back 45 years ago, they were very eager to give pain medication to women in labor for pain. That pain medication almost completely stopped my labor. And it actually ended up taking me 43 hours to have that baby. Um, When I stopped the pain medicine, it allowed the process to go. And I bring this story up because the analogy to the process and the labor that someone who's in an end-of-life process is going through, they need the pain medication sometimes to allow the process to continue. And that I think where the misconception is is that when you see this person uh, struggling we get them some pain medication, we get them comfortable, then the body can go through the natural process and death occurs. And sometimes I think that the morphine is getting blamed right.
2: for that. So, yeah, comments, Deb? That's absolutely true. We birth in and we birth out, it's a labor both ways. We yeah. watch the labor. Um, And this body has never, as I said before, it hasn't died before. It hasn't gone through this process of physically shutting down. However, oftentimes we consider this a completely clinical physical process. Mm -hmm. But we have held on for things all of our lives, from our hope, our relatedness, our forgiveness. All of those things are meaning and purpose, and they're accentuated at end of life. And if we can relax into what we're doing with that life review because whether we're speaking or not, we are continually life reviewing. Yes. And if we can relax our body into that, um, we actually allow somebody to relax into their process because they are going to die with or without the drug. But yes. if you have an opportunity as the dying person to easefully move through that dying process, mm-hmm. what would you choose? And oftentimes this controversy or this going back and forth um, this debate is actually for the family member. Mm-hmm. They want this person here even if it's two hours longer. But if you are the dying person in that discomfort, you're already wanting to be out of this world long before those two hours. So we really have to step back and look at it. And that's why we do so much educating. And you had said earlier, Ken, that um, when we have this educational piece out there, it changes the way people view the dying process while they're in it with a loved one or themselves. And the people they leave behind, they grieve differently. They grieve better. And we found out that there is such thing as a good death. Yes, there is such a thing as a good death. But there are motions we need to go through to create that. Mm -hmm. I just want
1: to ask a question here, too, for our audience to think about. Um, A lot of morphine can sometimes cause a little drowsiness. Also gets confused with the non-responsiveness that kind of goes along during the um, natural process that the, the person going through this process is naturally going to become less responsive and sleep more. And then again, when we give some morphine, um, person may th- be feeling more comfortable and then sleeping more. and, and it's just that delicate um, educating the family too that they're seeing the process here. They're not seeing the morphine itself causing the non-responsive behavior. But I did want to ask, you know, kind of a controversial question, I guess. but what if we didn't give that morphine? What if we didn't at the end of life? What would the result of that be? and and what would you want for your loved one? But I think, you know the result could be more physical pain. You'd be watching them. There could be more agitation and restlessness that you'd be seeing. Um, you know, so what would you rather see because, Through the process, that non-responsive is going to be there. They're going to be more tired. They're going to sleep. They go through the process while they're getting into their deep sleep. Would you rather see them relaxed and going through the process comfortably or going through it
2: agitated, maybe with some pain might um, I add yes. all the more reason for an advanced care directive? Yeah. All yeah. these questions could be alleviated if you had that conversation with your yeah. loved one, you knew what they wanted in advance and you were able to honor it. Yeah. Without the wondering. Yeah. You know, what am I doing? Am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? So,
1: yeah.
0: All right. Well, that wraps up our second segment here. Great conversation. We will be right back. You're listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show, and we will continue our our discussion on Frequently Asked Questions.
3: Tom Harmon here, letting you know that better energy is finally affordable. With All Energy Solar, Minnesota's number one local home solar provider, you can go solar with little or no money down. Qualified property owners could even see a return on investment in less than one year. Excel Energy's Solar Rewards Incentive Program is available first come, first serve, and federal tax credits are available for a very limited time. Schedule your free solar assessment today. Visit AllEnergySolar.com. That's AllEnergySolar.com. Hi, this is Gregory Rich from Habitation Furnishing and Design, and I'd like you to tune in to a new program, Drink in the Style. Sundays at 5 p.m., Drink in the Style is going to be a one-hour conversation about interior design and aesthetics, all while enjoying a cocktail created by a local mixologist. Drink in the Style, Sundays at 5 p.m., brought to you by Habitation Furnishing and Design. Most tax service family owned and operated since 1971 providing a full spectrum of tax preparation and associated services think about it why would you take your most important financial information to a franchise operation with a cheap basic package that goes up dramatically once you're in the door you can find out all you need to know about Moe's by visiting www.moestax.com that's tax.com, or call them at 612-721-2026 don't be a -A 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 blockhead Go to the professionals at Moe's Tax Service.
1: Atheists Talk is the radio show for free-thinking Minnesotans. Listen on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. Every Sunday, we bring you science, philosophy, politics, and plain old fun from an atheist point of view. Visit our website at minnesotaatheists.org for more details. Tune in to Atheists Talk Radio Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock on KTNF AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's good radio without the good book.
5: The Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe is ready for the cold. Serving seasonal dishes using locally sourced ingredients, Minnesota craft beers, and organic wines. Their delicious vegetarian, vegan, and omnivorous menu options are sure to satisfy. New items include the cauliflower po boy, harvest chili, braised beef tostada, and the pork banh mi, as well as rotating seasonal vegetables and pasta. Sustaining a healthy community, you will find Seward Co-op Creamery Cafe at 2601 East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis and online at coopcreamery.coop.
3: Hello humans, this is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 on Monday mornings at 7.30. This Monday I'll talk about acclaimed black actor Sidney Poitier and something incredible he did in the 1967 movie In the Heat of the Night. At the time, America was in great upheaval over race relations. Tune in to hear exactly what that incredible thing was. I've got a vision of a better world where everyone has a place at the table. LE 2.0, engaging in real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. With your AM950
0: weather, this is Eric Nelson. Today will be partly cloudy with a high near 36. Tonight, a 50% chance of snow with lows around 28. Sunday, a chance of rain before 1 p.m. Highs around 38. Sunday night, mostly cloudy with lows around 21. Monday, high of 37 and a low of 19.
3: Eat local Minnesota.com's Restaurant of the Week is Crooner's Lounge and Supper Club, one of the most beautiful destination fine dining
0: restaurants in the Twin Cities. Offering a unique and contemporary spin on continental cuisine, Crooner's is
3: located at 6161 Highway 65 Northeast in Minneapolis.
4: Once I was seven years old, my mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely. Once I was seven years
0: old. Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. My name is Ken Hagland and I'm joined today with Barbara Larson- Director of Clinical Services at Minnesota Hospice. She's a registered nurse and also a certified hospice and palliative nurse. And also Reverend Debbie Meckley, chaplain and spiritual care advisor, who's also certified in advanced care planning as an honoring choices facilitator. And Debbie, you just mentioned uh, before the last break about how important it is to have the things that we are talking about today, which is how do you want that process of dying to look, medications, there's just so many yeah. elements to that, and I want to just let people know that they need to explore that, whether it's you know contacting us and and having a phone call with one of our team that's certified in that area or going online. I mean there's tremendous resources out there now, and there's a big push by by Minnesota to be able to Very get right. yeah could you maybe so talk important. about that a little bit?
2: Yeah, why don't yeah. we we'll talk about that. Um, I noticed we have a caller uh oh, calling the- in.
0: The lines are lighting up. Yep, You're right. they're lighting up. Well, so let's, I, will, I
2: will touch base on that. Yeah,
0: yeah. T- put that in the parking lot there. Got it. I do want to <laughs> explore that a little further. Um, yeah. yeah, we've got uh, Shannon from New Prague with a question. Shannon, hi, Shannon. You're on the hi. air. Hi. What is your question?
5: So, my question is I'm wondering if you can help me understand why, when um, a loved one is on hospice, a hospice nurse uh, may tell me not to force fluids um, onto my loved one when, in turn, I feel like they should have you know juice or water to stay to stay hydrated.
0: Great question, in fact, question. we yeah, we get that quite a bit. let me let me turn that question over to Barbara.
1: Yeah, I would be happy to answer that question. Hi, Shannon. Hello., uh, so, there, there's really a lot of a lot of components to to this. Uh, the first thing I want to share is just that during the natural process of uh, this journey towards dying, eating and drinking are two things that will stop. Uh, the body does not need food, and it does not need the water anymore either. We we drink water to live, um, so we have to remember that processes are shutting down. We're no longer trying to keep all our vital organs vital. Um, we have a body that's shutting down. And also part of this process is um, swallowing does become involved and there is some difficulty, increased difficulty in swallowing. So one risk that can occur if we keep continuing to give fluids to someone who is uh, in an end process is, is we run the risk of them aspirating on the liquid, and this can cause pneumonia. And then we, we kind of have started another problem that we could possibly have avoided had we not been trying to give liquids, even though they were still um, showing us indications that they were having trouble swallowing it. Um, there's also another thing, a part of that too, and that is as our kidneys are shutting down, that they don't know what to do with all that water anymore, they can't process it, and so and this this happens more probably when there are IV fluids given, but the body doesn't know what to do with the fluid and it has to put it somewhere, so it just puts it out into. Um, we call it your third space, but it goes, it leaves the cell and just gets under your skin. And you'll see that in more increased swelling around their eyes or in their face, their hands. It can cause more congestion in their lungs. And so, again, we have to be very cautious. And that's this is where I think the experts at the, in hospice are good at understanding the process and knowing when it's time to tell a family. Offer. We always say offer, offer food and offer water, but their body knows what it needs and what it doesn't need. And if they don't want to drink, don't force it.
2: Um, so, you know, I think I, what, think, I yeah. think what people don't understand too is we associate dehydration with a bad thing, mm-hmm. when in fact that's the body's natural way of leaving this earth. Is it becomes dehydrated, and when dehydration happens. The body releases um, oh, calcium. excessive calcium. Mm-hmm. Calcium mm-hmm. goes to the brain and causes us to beautifully go into a sleep. It's another miracle. The body knows exactly what it's doing. We're born at a DNA level, yes. at a cellular level, we know exactly how to die. But we interfere with the process and then we cause chaos and havoc. And and that's really causes discomfort. And so we're yeah. really about comfort care. Yeah. And and so I guess that kind of opens up the window to the food as yeah. well you know mm-hmm. we live in a culture our our culture finds comfort it finds expression it finds love it finds conversation through food and that's for the living mm-hmm. but when somebody is in a dying process granted dying is living but they're living in a different way they're not taking in nourishment to stay alive that's when the body is trying to heal but yeah. with a terminal illness, and we know that this body is dying from whatever disease process it may be, that food no longer um, is welcome, actually, in the body. Um, and But our culture says you have to keep eating, you have to keep moving, you have to keep walking. Mm-hmm. But people who are on the 360 of that don't need the things that we need. They don't need that. And, in fact, um, food um, given to somebody who is dying, their digestive system has shut down. Their kidneys have shut down. Liver is shutting down. It doesn't know what to do with that food, and in fact, it does nothing.
3: Mm-hmm. And it
2: sits in the gut, and it can cause pain. It can cause bowel obstruction. And that we see that. Mm-hmm. And so when somebody says no, they're not saying no because they're depressed and they don't want to eat. They're, this miracle of the body is saying, I have removed the desire for this beautiful thing you used to enjoy doing. I've actually removed the desire. So you don't feel that you're at a loss without it. So it's easy for the dying person to say no or to close their mouth, to, to shut their lips tight. And so we always offer, but we never force. And we honor exactly where someone's at because we understand. Mm-hmm. From a hospice point of view, we know exactly what's, what's going on with their body. Yeah. I hope that is
1: answering your question, Shannon. Um, dehydration is, is your friend at end of life. That's right. Um, as Deb said, that calcium, the, the calcium, as it gets elevated, puts you into a nice sleep. And that's one thing I hear from so many people. If I could choose how I die, what would I want to do? And they would, They would. so many say, I just wish I could go to sleep and not wake up. And that's what calcium will do for you. Yeah. Um, you will go to sleep, and you won't wake up. And it's a comfortable sleep for you. Um Any other question or any piece of that, Shannon? Did you feel like uh, a little more comfortable with uh, giving fluids or the hospice nurse, you know, telling you not to give, not to force that fluid if they don't want it?
5: Yeah, I I thank you for that explanation, though. That was a great explanation. I feel like I just have a better, much better understanding um, now on, on the reasons behind that. So I appreciate yeah.
2: it. Thank you very much. Yeah. And, Shanna, make sure that, you know, you get your questions answered with your um, hospice team that you have. Um, you know, uh, they're there to support you in every aspect. And knowledge is wisdom. It's comfort. It's support. And the way you move through this with your loved one um, will help that person that you're supporting so much more if you understand what, what, what they're going through and to let them know that you're there to support their process.
1: All right.
2: Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Shannon.
0: Yeah, thanks, Shannon. So, but here's the thing I hear from you guys all the time is that the patients will eat or drink for the family. Yep. And, and then that's one of the things that can drive discomfort. I mean, it's kind of a vicious circle in a sense oh, that happens yeah. at end of life. The process is happening. It's not going to stop.
2: Yeah, it's the hardest concept of dying yeah. that we deal with is this concept around food and um oftentimes and food is love. Yeah. That's how we express
1: our love to our lo- to our family members. Romance. You know, we have these big family meals. That's how we 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 have more food than we know we're all going to eat, but just the
2: more food we can bring, the more love seems to be in the room, you know. And and, and we spent our whole lives yes. thinking of it that way. So it is it's it, it's challenging to get our head around that and to switch gears with that. Um, but that's oftentimes the living. That's we find comfort in offering and saying, But you'll feel so much better if you eat this. I know you'll feel better. Remember how much you liked that? Yeah. You know, and, oh. and the, the the living, you know, we're finding comfort from that when we don't, we just really don't realize that the person who's dying is not finding the same comfort from that food that they did in the past. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So so you really are flipping life upside down when it comes to death. It's a 360,
2: the whole process. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. So you, you have the big family meal or the big reunion and, and you have all the food and then you have maybe some conversation that's maybe more surface conversation. But then when you're dying, yeah. you don't want the food, but you want real conversation. I want real conversation. I mean, and the reason I say that, we just came off of a five-week part five week series about spiritual pain and how people want authentic conversations yeah. at the end of life.
2: And this food you know, issue of, uh, of food and the controversy with that is an open door, actually, when your loved one doesn't want to eat because they naturally don't want to eat. They're not being stubborn. They're not angry. <laughs> They just don't have the desire. They're not giving up. Yeah, they're opening oh. the door. Ask them. Ask them, so what does this mean for you? How do you feel not wanting to eat? You know, tell me more about that. And you may have a, a very um, intelligent surprise about what that looks like for them.
0: You guys are so good at drawing out <laughs> no, I mean these yeah. conversations that people may have been holding on to for their entire life. But as you say, Debbie... As we get closer to the the death event, the more enlightenment happens and we start to just, I mean, everything goes away and we just focus on what's important. And a lot of times, as you mentioned in this last series, it's about forgiveness. It's about you know, important things that yeah. people really have on their minds and their hearts.
2: And what an opportunity to truly get present with yeah. somebody. I mean, no cliche involved. I mean, what an opportunity to truly get present with somebody, meet them on their map, exactly where they're at, and be totally okay with that.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. What reminds me of even just when people fast that are, in, you know, throughout life, they'll, they'll go on a fast to just get more in touch with themselves and to kind of get some clarity on things, both emotionally and spiritually. And that, in a sense, was happening too a little bit there. You're going on your last fast.
2: Yeah, you are. And there is some clarity, moments of lucidness and clarity when those things are leaving your body, leaves the door open for some um, pretty uh, incredible empathic conversations. Yeah.
0: That's why it's so critical with the clinical team to just manage those pain medications. I mean, it really is an art and a science that you guys have developed over years and years and years and thousands of patients Mm -hmm. about what is that right level of comfort
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, our nursing staff, I watch it every day. They are experts at this pain adjustment. And then when you have the whole entire staff trained on the other expressions of pain, the nonverbal expressions of pain, and using the scale that we use, we're all in tune. We all have these eyes on our patient, um, knowing what they're going through, whether it be physical, spiritual, emotional pain. Um, and so it, it's such a gift that we give this patient
0: yeah. Yeah, and their family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, looks like we are bumping up against another break here. Great conversation. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice radio show. We'll be right back after this short break. Soon I'll be 60 seem odd to be thinking about air conditioners in minnesota in march but it is better than waiting until the middle of july when you can fry a steak on your sidewalk fortunately standard heating and air conditioning is offering one thousand dollars or more off high efficiency air conditioners until march 30th save money and spend the summer in cool and relaxing comfort visit standardheating.com for details and come visit us at the minneapolis home and garden show standard heating and air conditioning the comfort you deserve
5: Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe. Now open seven days a week. Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays six to three, weekends eight to two. Milda's Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn.
0: Hi, this is Mike Pavantonio from Ring of Fire. Ring of Fire is a direct, smart, and I got to promise you a fearless progressive talk show. Join me, Mike Pavantonio and my co-host Bobby Kennedy Jr. and Sam Cedar as we take on the large corporate conglomerates and that radical right-wing media that dominate America's airwaves. Ring of Fire Saturdays from 3 to 6 and Sundays from 6 to 9 p.m. on AM 950. It is the progressive voice of Minnesota.
3: fireplaces. This is an important part of our mission at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. We know that the fireplace has to work. Work with your life, work with your living space, and also be environmentally smart. Come see us. Learn to burn wise. We have over 35 working units on display at the corner of Riverside and East Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Visit our store in person or online at woodlandstoves.com.
4: Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. Hi, this is Laura with Food Freedom Radio. And I'm Karen. Join us every Saturday at 8 a.m. It's all about food, you know, Laura. Right, the health of the planet. You know, carbon-based farming can solve the climate crisis. Well, because community is medicine. And it's not about one seed to rule them all anymore. One seed rules the world. Yeah, let's have something else. Let's, like, worry about our individual health, our community health, the health of the planet, while eating food. Yeah, because it's all tied to food. So listen to Food Freedom Radio every Saturday at 8 a.m. On AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Once I was seven years old, my mama told me, go make yourself some friends or you'll be lonely once I was seven years old.
0: Welcome back. You are listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. Big, big my name is Ken Hagland, and I'm joined today by Barbara big big Larson, she Director she of Clinical Services medical 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 at Minnesota Hospice. Medical. She is a registered nurse and is also a certified hospice and palliative nurse. And also with us is Reverend Debbie Meckley, chaplain and spiritual care advisor, who's also certified in advanced care planning as an Honoring Choices facilitator. Today we are answering your phone calls and emails, and I want to give out that uh, phone number and email once more. The phone number to call in and ask your question is 952-946-6205 or email at comment- at am950radio.com. And uh, before we jump back in and answer some email questions, I did want to talk quickly about um, an event that's coming up here in April, on April 9th. Uh, Dr. Ira Biak uh, is coming in for an evening presentation at the Doubletree in Bloomington. It's being sponsored by the Minnesota Hospice and Palliative Care Network here locally, and uh, you can uh, check that out on the mnhpc.org website. But I encourage anybody who's interested, and this is not a clinical, even though he's a doctor, it's not a clinical presentation, it's about how to live better and what is the life lessons of death teaching us. So it's for the public, it's for the layperson, even though it's attended by a lot of medical personnel, Um, it's open to the public. I encourage people to check that out. All right. We do have an email question here from Tony, and he's asking, could you address the use of oxygen as a comfort measure? That's a great question. Great question. Barbara, do you want to take that?
1: I would love to take that question. Uh, There's actually research that says administering oxygen at end of life as it approaches does not prolong life, and there's also f- research that is even questioning the beneficial effect of giving oxygen. Um, research says that the physical body is so compromised due to the decreased circulation and lung congestion that there is really no effect. Um, remember, the body's shutting down, nothing's working right, so it can't process the oxygen that's being pushed into it. Uh, and I know that that's very difficult for families to to watch that struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks like a struggle. Um, And that's where a a good hospice will educate you through that process. Um, It looks like a struggle, but remember they're laboring, their body's going through all sorts of processes, and there's going to be various stages of changes in their breathing. That you're going to see throughout the process. Um, one thing that can also be done, other than using oxygen, that I think, from my experience, is actually more beneficial to the patient, is to actually give a very small dose of morphine rather than use the oxygen. Again, you know, circulatory things have changed, and <clears throat> we're trying to pump air into lungs that are getting more congested, what happens with the morphine is that one of the actual side effects of morphine, one of the properties of morphine is that it slows or decreases respirations. That is actually a benefit we want to see at end of life. We want to relax that breathing so that if it does look like they're big, heavy-labored breaths, the morphine will calm that down and... um, So that is one thing that we use, and I personally um, would recommend that more than using the oxygen. Not that the
2: oxygen is a bad thing. But we see that as such a comfort measure because anxiety that comes up when somebody cannot breathe or catch their breath or they're having very um, rapid breathing their whole demeanor changes when the breath slows down and they relax into that, and the bronchioles and the lungs relax. Yeah, it's I think it's a it's a beautiful way to give yeah. comfort care. Yeah, I do too. And the other side to
1: giving oxygen, you know, we administrate it through a nasal cannula, the little tube with the prongs that go into your um, into your nose. Um, but at the end of life, they're not breathing through their nose anymore either. They are now. Their breathing has become through their mouth, and um, so you really are just forcing air in, um, and it's really not, not the best comfort for them. It can dry their nose, can dry their mouth out more too, which normally happens just part of the process. So, so one might ask you, Barb. You know, who is the oxygen for? Sometimes, uh, I see the oxygen used a lot. For the family, for their comfort, for the comfort
2: of the family, and their own anxiety, uh, just just the thought of it is making yeah. my nose itch right now um, because I see patients so <laughs> aggravated by the the in their nose, and it's not actually helping them, mm-hmm. and the noise, you know, of it, it just isn't a very peaceful. Um, in in my experience, I haven't seen it as very very peaceful. I think when when people are more um, early on and cognitive in their dying process, the oxygen actually psychologically helps them breathe. They feel more um, comforted and supported. But once they're in that active phase, it yeah. really isn't doing what it would do a month earlier. Yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. I think we really get the best benefit for the breathing if we use the real low-dose morphine to dilate the bronchioles and, and open up the airways, keep them open as as long as we can to relax that breathing. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. And, and again, I mentioned, you know, that air blowing into their nasal cavity and into their oral cavity, again, dries out those membranes in their nose and their mouth, and um, that can be uncomfortable, too. You know, if you have a very dry mouth, um, that's not comfortable either, so.
0: Okay, great. Uh, I see we have another email that just came in, and it's referencing the advanced care planning topic that we just briefly touched on on a previous segment. Debbie, would you mind just... Mentioning a little bit about that advanced care planning, and you know you're certified you know, in advanced care planning. As a, as a facilitator, just as, as a resource standpoint, what people can do to, sure. to be thinking about that. And, and does it apply to everybody, or yeah. is it just for people that are nearing death?
2: God, I wish we had more time to talk <laughs> about this, but advanced care planning is for everybody from age 18 on up. It's so important. We never know when death is going to come. It's not just from somebody who comes across a terminal illness. But the importance of advanced care planning is the gift that you give your family, when you let them know what it is you desire at end of life, who you want with you, you know, how you want your dying process to look, whether that be down to drugs, to music, to the people that you want uh, to come into the room with you. Um, and so it's just, it's really important, but those conversations, um, when you have a facilitator, they can help you open up those conversations that typically we think are very difficult to have. But boy, it changes everything in relationships when you have that conversation. So uh, Honoring Choices is where um, uh, uh, we became certified through. Um, you can go to their website. They have so many resources from videos to audio. You can download their short form, their long form. I encourage you to go to Honoring Choices and, and check out um, their advanced care plan.
0: Well, we are so fortunate as an agency to have you guys to be certified within the our organization. So, oh, my gosh. I know. Th- th- it goes th- this, so fast. This day went so by. I'm just... We have so much more to talk about. But anyway, thank you for listening to the Minnesota Hospice Radio Show. And thank you guys for being here today.
2: Thank you. Thanks, Ken. There is a season